the phrase power couple, who do you imagine? Franklin D. Roosevelt and Eleanor, JFK and Jackie O, Cleopatra and Julius Caesar? There's a problem with our vision of what a power couple looks like. By default, we imagine two people who are already powerful coming together. Political couples like the Kennedys start with influence before joining forces. Leaders of nations have the taxes they collect, which they wed together like Cleopatra and Caesar. If we're talking about truly powerful partnerships, maybe we should measure how influential they became after they're together. With this measure, one could argue that Jay-Z and Beyonce are a much better example of a power couple. Jay-Z grew up relatively poor. He began his life in the infamous Marcy Housing Projects in the midst of Brooklyn's cocaine epidemic. And while Beyonce doesn't consider her upbringing poor, her Xerox sales executive father wasn't exactly in the same league as Caesar. Jay-Z and Beyonce got married in secret in 2008. At the time they took their nuptials, each had a net worth just under $100 million. Fast forward 14 years, dozens of music awards and millions of dollars in tour revenue later, the couple is now worth about $1.8 billion. $1.8 billion. To put that kind of money in context, there are ghost towns in America you can purchase online, most of which go for under $2 million. With Jay-Z and Beyonce's money, they could purchase, renovate half of all the ghost towns in the U.S. and turn them into music utopias if they wanted. Hail Caesar indeed. You're listening to The Reengineered You. This is a podcast about self-empowerment and all the myths, lies, and misconceptions we tell ourselves. Then, we use science and history to bust those myths and re-engineer a better you. I'm your host, Todd Lamets, The Extrovert. And I'm the writer, researcher, and introvert, Joe Anthony, whose job it is to dig through the outer layer of no-duh on the internet. There are 96 words for love in Sanskrit, most of which are about love for self, for God, or for romantic attraction. The Japanese language has words to describe dog lovers, love for a child, and the philanthropic love for one's fellow man. But only in Greek do we find pragma, the pragmatic love of the well-adjusted partnership. Pragma is when a couple learns to make compromises over time. You do the dishes, and I'll do the garbage, because those are the chores each of us can stand. Pragma is tolerance of each other's little flaws and celebrating the other's minor victories. Pragma is making an effort. In short, of all the words for love, pragma is partnership. And partnerships are how we make power couples. That's what today's episode is about. Pragma and partnership. And we have a few myths to go with our new words. Myth one. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. At least that's what the 90s would have us believe. So what's the real state of partnership today? Myth two. What about lopsided partnerships? The wealthy millionaire and the gold digger. Or the brainy wife and the slob. Can these become power couples? Myth three. Finally, 
How do we pick a power partner early before Eros becomes too big? Is it problematic to even think that way? We're going to get to our mess. But first, I want to tell Joe about Tom and Judy Love, a modern-day power couple who put the Kennedys to shame. Partnership in a relationship came up a couple of times on our dock. Like it, I kept trying to remove it, and it kept appearing. So, um, Todd, why did you want to? Uh, why do you want to do this episode? Years ago, I went to a speech, and I was really excited. At the time, this was. Have you ever read that book, The Millionaire Millionaire Next Door? No, never read it. It's a best-selling book, sold you know multiple all over the world. And what the, the gist of it is how there's just real average millionaires among us in every neighborhood in America. Okay. So I go to this thing and the guy gets up there. There it was a doctor and then a writer wrote it together. The doctor was the one speaking at this. They weren't both there. And he gets up there and he kind of stands up in his suit and he goes, You wanna know how to be a millionaire? Don't get divorced. <laughs> and everybody laughed, right? And right. then he broke down the math of it and why that is. And I've always made a joke about that and told people this story my whole life, right? My whole adult life. But then as I've gotten older, I look at it a little bit differently. And I start to see how important, how the wrong partner is cancer. And the right partner can take you to places well beyond you can on your own. So that that's why it's a really burning desire for me. I, I think the thing that appeals to me most... The exercise mentally of picking a partner among the people you know. Guys play this game all the time. You know, like there's there's that stupid game, fuck, marry, kill. We don't ever have the game like who would you, you know, marry, kill, and then go into business with. Like, <laughs> Well, I think us both being men, I could say that there's no successful man that I've ever seen who doesn't have a great partner. Right. And I'll give you the prime example an extreme example is President Bill Clinton. Without his power wife, he wouldn't be president of the United States. He'd just be some dude on a golf course somewhere. From He'd just what be a trust fund kid, right? Absolutely. What we've read about the presidents, most of them wouldn't have become presidents without their wives. Like we, we had an episode where we listened to Lady Bird Johnson lecturing LBJ, and he's just quietly like, uh-huh, like on the phone accepting what she says. Once I dug into this and started looking at basically like numbers and what you can expect and how we actually match up, this seemed like more and more of a valuable thought exercise. I think we should all teach kids to play that game instead. Like high schoolers should be like, you know, um, marry, fuck and business partner. Like who, who would you pick? And then think of it more like you are your own grandparent and you are doing an arranged marriage for you. Don't don't think of it as, you know, necessarily marrying out of love. Don't think of it necessarily as marrying out of attraction. Pretend you are your own like aging aunt in like some arranged marriage culture and you're setting yourself up for success for the future. Well, you made a comment about that when you were at my wedding. You said how our vows were just so they weren't this what did you call it? I'll let you, I'll let you say it yourself, but they weren't this whimsical, it's meant to be, this is a Cinderella story. You were like, they were practical vows. Yeah, they made sense. They were, they were things, we talked about things of values that we liked in each other, 
and pretty much why we were together as opposed to a fairy tale, which what fairy tales are not real. They don't last. Right. Right. You said a key word there. You said the word values and we are going to get into those. That's that's pretty much the first science section we're going to get to. But you're right. Yeah. When when I was at Todd's wedding, it it was almost like he was projecting this episode from his marriage, you know, months in advance. And Joe still erased it from the dog. <laughs> I still tried to avoid it. I still steered us away from it. Well, my big problem is like nobody got murdered or shelled in this story. So um, it's not I, I had no interest. So uh, no, but it's really practical stuff like we this is something we should teach. We should have a class in high school about picking a good partner. We actually do have classes about it in college. And we're going to talk about that, too, in this episode. So there's a can lot I, of really can, good practical can, advice. Can I just say less hot less sexy and more nerdy is the way to go yes <laughs> because the sexy the sexy goes away the good looks go away <laughs> yeah I, I or remember. to keep them sexy it costs so much i don't know if it's worth it i don't know if the roi is worth it yeah i, I had a um uh a basically a, a a mentor once who told me that uh, with attraction, it doesn't matter how hot they are or how attractive they are. Someone somewhere is sick of their shit. <laughs> so, first off, I just want to really quickly say, do you know why Jay-Z is so wealthy? Like, Because <clears throat> he's an awesome rapper? We love his music? I don't know. There's lots of awesome rappers that make it over the bil- the millions and the, the hundreds of millions. Yeah, the billions are a bit different, though. That's Jay-Z is into That's- the multi-billion yeah, that, that's a whole different class. Yeah. He's, Warren, probably, he's probably there by himself. Yeah. Warren Buffett, like there's a Forbes interview where Warren Buffett and Jay-Z went out to lunch and like talked about how they see eye to eye on a lot of business models. His big one, though, uh, and this is going to become important later. Jay-Z has the business model of never make someone else rich with your brand or your image. And... That is a value that his wife shares, and that is not a value. Many other rappers, anybody in the entertainment industry, honestly, you hear about all of these artists and albums who who get in huge, massive fights with their publishers and recorders. Jay-Z's model is don't do something for someone else's business. Always build your own brand. So I just want to point that out to start with because our whole episode revolves around the idea that you know jay-z is a brilliant business manager and you know and then he got with an amazing wife who would just like beyonce is hyper talented and would be probably a billionaire on her own together they amplified each other fire and gasoline right so before we get to how to do it absolutely right can we start with how to do it wrong this yes this i know about okay (laughs) i am gonna ask the embarrassing question and i apologize in advance let's talk about times we've made have picked the wrong partner like how does we know divorce will basically um cut your you know your finances in half but what does it really look like I tell you what, this is sensitive to me. So I got divorced, and I was in my mid to late thirties, and then I went through a pre-mid-life crisis where I was dating women that were a lot younger than me. 
And those were doomed from the very jump. And I couldn't see that. I was warned by people that my spiritual and <laughs> life leaders would say, this is not going to good. And now you can see why. Um, it might be fun today, but as they get older, you get a lot older. Okay. <laughs> as they become a woman, you become a grandfather. And it's just <laughs> doomed from the start. And a lot of time when a younger person will date an older person, it's situational. It's for financial help. Yeah. And you think that it's true love, but it's really not. It's just true need. Maybe that, that could be the first unofficial myth we talk about. What are you going to share first? What about you? Oh, God, my dating? <laughs> I, I make the mistake of not matching values with people. Um, when we talk about finding the wrong partner... Um, some of it is practical, like what you're talking about, the finances, knowing where each other stand, knowing how to build each other up on a real financial and like, if not financial, then like, then at least a planning level. You know, they talk about how you're truly rich if you have like a lot of friends, family, you know, a home, things like that. Um, Most of my mistakes in the past uh, in choosing a partner have been, I find someone who doesn't share the value of like, I, I look for academic truth. Like I am in constant search of academic truth. And I also really enjoy writing fiction to an obsessive degree. So I find people who are. Those sound like they'd be at war in your own brain. Yeah, they, they oftentimes are. They, they play together. Like I'll read something very neat in history and then I'll twist it a little bit, makes an interesting fantasy story. George R. R. Martin, his whole Game of Thrones was based on the the Yorks and the um, oh, uh, the Lancasters. So it was based on the War of Roses, a very real history event. Um, but I would find partners who were not that interested in literature. <laughs> like they said, they read. But then when you dig in, they only read one very specific romance book over and over they would talk about how much they like to learn or that they were, you know, really interested in the stuff that I want to talk about. Come to find out, they were more interested in the stuff they had learned in college and high school when they were forced to read and learn. But in their adult years, they didn't share that value. They weren't seeking. They they had they had already sought, they had attained, and yeah. that's what knowledge was to them. They lost that childlike curiosity. Exactly. Yeah, that that whole thing could have been summed up with, I met incurious people, and I didn't know that's what had happened. This is a really nice segue into our first myth that we're going to bust. The idea that, you know, opposites attract, or or even worse, that like, the the whole thing, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Did you ever read that? Oh, I did. Loved that book. Yeah. I wrote multiple speeches from that book and I used it in my relationships with a positive and stuff I learned from it. Okay. So it, it did generally help. It did. Yeah. There. Have you ever read it? Parts of it. Um, the, the one that sticks out to me is supposedly, you know, men only speak 50,000 words a day and women and double that or I don't remember the exact number but it was it that one was debunked a couple of years back um, 
Once that wasn't true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's, I, I think there is some good soul advice in there and better ways to approach a relationship, like mindfully. So I will give it credit for that. I know um, part of it you didn't read. What's up? Don't be a fixer in relationships as a man. Right. You, you miss that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mr. Handyman here over here thinks he can fix everything. <laughs> he tries that shit with me. And I say, you don't understand. It's all fucked up. <laughs> I think you're, the words you used was, I like being a psycho, was what you said. <laughs> <laughs> One of the first things we want to sort of debunk is the idea that um, people with opposite values come together. Uh, we mentioned at the beginning the, the brainy gal gets with the slob. Or um, here's another one. Um, specifically, they point out in this study, the ailing tycoon will um, have a lot of money and they have a lot of sort of um, practical uh, worldly status. And so they get with the supermodel. Um, I mean, that is such a over-abused trope that it shows up in like Saturday Night Live skits and it shows up in, you know, cartoons. Like it is... Yeah, the, the 80-year-old balding, you know, guy looks like a Monopoly man with, you know, a, a blonde twig who just walked off the runway. We have that sort of ingrained in our psyche, but it, these opposites that we, that we speak of, even to the point where opposites attract, it generally isn't true. Um, so I'm going to harken back to a study we've covered before. Um, it came from the University of Notre Dame by sociologist Elizabeth McClintock. And she looked at the data from about 1,500 couples in different stages of their partnership. And she said specifically the trophy wife is a total myth. Um, usually if an economically successful man gets with a beautiful woman, part of that is she probably already has some money. And so money makes it easier to stay beautiful. And on the other part of it, you know, the the man clearly is, you know, making money. Like he's done something in life to earn it or to inherit it. That makes total sense because I think a, a, a high achiever is not going to hang out in a place without other high achievers around. That's their proximity. That's the people they're going to meet the most. Right. So you're generally looking at women who come from high socioeconomic status, they may not make as much, possibly because of gender gap, possibly because they reach the ceiling of what their degree can get them, and then they just get with the guy that has the same value as them. And if their value is money, well, then you're just having two people who are you know, good with money get together. Um, I have this burning desire fear of my wife leaving me, and it's not for that handsome, muscular punch you in the face, take your girl kind of guy. I know the kind of guys she likes. She likes the smart guy. <laughs> so she would go for somebody with a big brain over anything else. Yeah. Is it because your wife is super smart and brainy and you're afraid that she'll find the same value in someone else? I know it. It's just a matter of time. <laughs> That's why we do the podcast is so that you can get brainy so that we can study more and learn more. It's not working. <laughs> we'll keep trying. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, brainy. Um, if you're whatever it is. It's this a value study, match. Yeah, exactly. Whatever core value you hold. 
people so you're saying with match. this bimbo thing they're not looking at this guy as a millionaire they're looking at this guy as a business leader or a a leader in whatever precisely it's somebody who has some money and their value is money pairing up with somebody who is already economically successful um, they're both successes in some way and they're both probably financially successful before this even happens but we don't see the woman's success we just see an attractive woman with an old guy you know who, who's graying and they both have cash and we roll our eyes and say gold digger yeah um nice guys generally pair with nice women um people whose value is you know uh academia intelligence they they pair with intelligent you know nerds pair with nerds you can get little offsets somebody can be a slob and nerdy that's where you get the brainy gal and the the slob as a trope but generally speaking everybody kind of value matches now on the same token do you think men and women are attracted to the same things no okay what, what do you think women are attracted to um, I think women are attracted to fun, entertainment, and I think men are more attracted by stuff and sex. I think as life advice, you once told me that when you have a gal, you have to bring them to whatever stage you're on to impress them. Whatever you do in life that you're good at, you have to let them see you be good at that thing. <laughs> so status. Um, yeah. You have to uh, get them to your show. Resources. Yeah. I think you have to get them to to separate yourself from the herd. Yeah, I, I think, think that's being true. Good and, and having a genuine interest. I've always said that about something. I people I find people attractive, men or women, who have a, something that they love, just a passion. When we look at these power couples, we're going to see that like the values match. The behaviors don't always match, but the core values match. And I think you're dead on our attractions. Well, okay, let, let me let me break some of this with the study a little bit because we, I've I think your advice might have been the better I've gotten in life. I've also heard my jerk friends talk about how women are only attracted to you know uh, how funny you are. I've heard myths like women only care about money. Um, I've heard myths the other way, like um, you know guys only care about looks. That's a big one. Well, I found a really neat study. This was by Stephen White at the Queensland University in Australia. And they had a big study group. They studied 7,325 Australians who were using a dating website, ages 18 to 65, so nice broad group. And they were asked to rate things on a scale of 0 to 100. And these fell into three categories, aesthetics, resources, and personality. So those are the three we generally think of. Like all the things we have mentioned, you and I, um, those fall into one of those three, I would think. Um, when we talk about age, attractiveness, physical build, that all falls into aesthetics. Well, when you told me, get on a stage and impress my gal, that goes into sort of like personality. And, you know, that's like trust, openness, emotional connection. Or we talk about Mr. Monopoly guy and his trophy wife. That's resources. That's intelligence, education, income, finances. So I think it's interesting that intelligence is a resource. Yeah. Because that, that's what that means is that's 
when you get with a smart partner, they're going to figure your way to comfort, success, and stability eventually. Exactly. So usually when we say intelligence, we think of like IQ. What this study thinks of intelligence is like your overall education, intelligence level, your ability to go find resources. So in this study in particular... Where are you going, right? Yeah. (laughs) So this study found that we assume men are all about looks Women are all about money. Those are the, the ugly assumptions. Um, this study found that women and men have the exact same desires. Their attractions are the same. Women rated intelligence, education, income as highly as men did. They rated personality as highly as men did. They even rated aesthetics as highly as men did. However, the differences came at their ages. So like... Let's see. Uh, women rated the importance of age, education, intelligence, trust, income, and emotional connection nine to fourteen points higher than men, especially like earlier in life. Um, men prioritized attractiveness and physical build earlier than women, like so, basically throughout their life. But according to the study, in quotes, both sexes tend to find the same thing sexy in a potential mate, but at different stages in life. Is that why? certain people like older men and younger women sometimes are a good match because I, they're they're at that same emotion i always think men mature later or not at all i believe so but i'm going to quote a totally non-scientific thing called the cougar effect um 40 50 year old women who are out prowling for young men the idea that they are both like like they're both at a stage in their life where physical attraction and aesthetic means most (laughs) it's these things that we think are like quirks or phenomena of sexuality they're actually features they're just oh those two people's values match in this moment just a perfect match yeah (laughs) (laughs) timing is everything the cougar and a kid are perfect for that right it absolutely is sexual private a woman in her sex private perfect match yeah. yeah everyone thinks of like the dating world as absolute chaos where it's just, you know, young men and, you know, like older women and older men and younger women. And and sometimes people match up and, you know, it's all chaos. It really isn't. It's we're all attracted to generally the same things. We prioritize them depending on the stage of life we're in. And we try to go towards somebody who has the same values as us. And if we don't find that we move on. So this is my takeaway is all this data from what I can see from the outside is telling me if you look for somebody with similar values, um, you will be successful. If that, if it won't make you rich and successful, maybe you should change your values, not your partner's. Jay-Z and Beyonce were like creative partners before they were like business partners. Like we know what it looks like when two creative powerhouses get together and go from zero to two billion together. What does it look like when we have people who are financially minded get together? Well, I have a good example of that. You know that restaurant chain, national, international restaurants, uh, the Panda Express? Oh, yeah. I, I ate there last week. 
It's like fast food, kind of Chinese food, kind of like Chipotle. Well, there's the owners of that, the founders of that, Andrew and Peggy Cherng. And they are a family. They are the power company. They are what we're talking about. Andrew, the husband, his family moved to Taiwan after the Chinese Civil War. And his father was a chef. So that kind of planted the seed of him being a restaurant guy. And the two of them met at a private school in America called Baker University. Have you ever heard of that? No, never. I never heard of it too. It's a private school. It's in Kansas. But they met when they were freshmen in college. So are are they both immigrants? They are both they are both immigrants, but second generation. They they weren't born here, but they were born elsewhere, but they kind of so the son of a chef and another student. So they're not rolling in money is what you're telling me. They're startups. Um, but they have this dream. Now, this couple gets together. They're still together today. They, they have built this restaurant from a tiny little place in Los Angeles. It's a one-stop one place, one location to over 2,000. And the sales last year were over $3 billion. And there's 2,000 Pan Expresses today in the United States, Canada, Mexico, Japan, South Korea, Saudi Arabia, Guatemala, Aruba, all over the world. And each of these restaurants averages about 450 guests a day. They have 35,000 employees. So they've blown this thing up. You said something important there, I think. A restaurant? This wasn't like... They started with a big loan from a big company and opened a chain automatically. This was, they had, they got a single restaurant and built it out from there. They did. And what they didn't do, like a lot of restaurants do that with a similar business plan is they franchise. They didn't like the franchise thing like McDonald's and all these fast food restaurants are, which makes you look a lot bigger than you are because these sole proprietors pay to expand your business. Right. That's, um... The guy that who who founded McDonald's, Crockett, Crockett, yeah, yeah. He he said famously he joked that he wasn't in the restaurant business; he was in the um, land business, the That's real right. estate business, the real estate business. Their own, and what they said the problem with they didn't like franchisees is because franchisees don't always listen. There's some loose cannons, and they go off, so it's harder to control. And they wanted to keep the integrity of their of their product. Okay. I was cracking up when I was reading, doing research on this. This is funny. <laughs> the customers will buy an estimated uh, 90 million pounds of their fried, sweetened fried chicken this year. <laughs> 22 million pounds of broccoli. Think okay. about that. <laughs> Just think about that. Like, A mountain of broccoli. Yeah. yeah. We can get our head around. Being buried alive by slimy broccoli. And I think it's important to remember, reading through the trends, ups and downs, and they have had numerous, numerous lawsuits. So I think a lot of being a power couple is is not just, you know, we did this and we outworked everybody and we have all the success, but there was a lot of, they've had lawsuits from not paying their general managers, um, just salaries, not paying them overtime. They've had problems with having cashiers not being able to sit, not getting the re- the breaks that they've wanted. But they powered through these together, good times and bad times. 
that's, and I think that's the nicest thing about a partner is to have someone to have that shield and shelter. That someone, even though you have the same values, that person who always, always has your back because you, you, your stakes are as high for you and your, for your family. That's something we learned um, from reading about the Gottman Institute is to be positive with a partner and look at hurdles as obstacles you're solving, not as things that are destroying you. Like if you don't catastrophize, any one of those things you mentioned for the churns could have been like, well, that's it. We're out of business. (laughs) But any other couple might have seen that and like collapsed, but they just solved them like as the rubik's cubes came to them they took them solved them passed them on and i know that you know pan express is a big operation but they have a net worth that is a couple of 3.3 billion dollars so they beat out jay-z and beyonce (laughs) yeah pan express selling that orange chicken shit (laughs) <laughs> okay, that's <laughs> terrible. Yeah. It's not even Chinese food. They're from Taiwan. They should know better, right? <laughs> I would not have guessed that. If you told me, if you'd show me a picture of this very nice old couple in Panda, and you'd been like, who's more powerful, them or Jay-Z and Beyonce? Okay, can we address the the elephant in the conversation? We We started this episode with how do we pick a good partner? And we, we've teased that the whole time. Our episode is probably going to be called something to the effect of how to pick a partner to, to be a power couple kind of stuff. Um, can we sort of like finally put that as a myth to bed? The idea that you are picking a partner and that you're not just like making yourself ready to be a good partner? Can we asterisk this with the women always choose <laughs> and then the men we have to attract a good partner? Yeah. Can I just put that up there at Asterix in the show notes at least? Yeah, we we can we'll put that in there somewhere. Like like uh, asterisk parentheses, but women are technically doing the choosing close parentheses. Because men we always if if women you don't know cuz we only talk about this when you're not around, but we brag about how we got somebody. Yeah. But in reality, they've been watching us for a while and they decided to give us a chance, you know. I've watched nature documentaries. I know that when birds mate, it's always the male bird who builds the nest and does the dance and brings rocks to the penguin. And yeah, the the guys do a bunch of stuff to to try to seem like a good mate, and then make complete asses of ourselves. Yeah. So, um, we're going for this one to Northwest University's Marriage One Hundred and One class. I think this class should be standard in every college. I think it should be in, in high schools, honestly. <laughs> like whenever you're young enough to start thinking about you know becoming a partner or getting a partner, this should replace you know that that home ec class where they make you carry around an egg for a week or like a bag of flour, and it's like this is what it's going to be like having a baby. Let's get rid of that. Let's teach Northwest University's Marriage 101 class. Let's hear it. What's it? Sounds good if you're into it. Yeah, the foundation of the course is based on correcting a misconception that if your partnership is going to work, you got to find the right person. Um, The person who teaches this class says you basically have to be the right person. Um, We go into relationships thinking that we're going to have somebody fix us or that together, you know, we are each individually broken, but together we'll be a whole piece. That is not the case. You, you both need to come together each of you ready to be a whole complete person 
and then you join forces and conquer the world. Um, in this class, which you would think would be all about how to play matchmaker, they make students journal. And we, we, we know the power of journaling. We've talked about it in episodes that journal about your values, journal about your friends, and um, they, they have them interview people that they know to find their own weaknesses. So that's another study we have covered in this podcast where friends and family and strangers will know more about what you're capable of accomplishing than you are at times. Um, they're forced to discuss their own triggers, their own reactions, their own hot buttons. So like the dick guy that gets you know full of rage and punches a hole in the wall, they make them examine this first. Like they make them look introspective and be like, what am I blind to? What problems would these cause if I was with somebody else? So that's basically stage one of the class. Um, they have moments of self-discovery. Uh, they make them examine their past and their family. As they put it, um, you know, Solomon says, quote, understanding your past and the family you grow up in, it helps you understand who you are now and what you value. So they almost darn near take their students through like all of the steps a good psychiatrist would take you through if you were thinking about jumping into a relationship. One of the most important parts of this is something we've already covered in this episode, which is when you go into a conflict with somebody else, uh, especially a partner, you should not look at it as a zero-sum game where one of you is going to win and one of you is going to lose. Like near the end of this course, they seem to focus on, you know, this should be two people standing together, looking at a problem, trying to solve it. Like the Churings, where they keep running into problems and they just take that Rubik's Cube, fix it together, move it on. So they emphasize the idea that you should be solving problems together and that you should be a problem-solving couple, not a couple that, you know, uh, has problems with each other. One of our biggest myths about love is that, you know, we're good communicators, so we should be totally cool in a relationship. But being in a relationship means almost being your own parent and watching yourself. So they, oh, they emphasize. Isn't that so humbling and true though? <laughs> Cause what do we do? We watch the other person and we watch them mess up and they say, you're making me so mad. Exactly. And stop doing that. And then we'll be happy. We poke at each other and we try to get each other to solve their problems that we're aggravated by. And we scoreboard. We're still aware of our own shortcomings. Yep. But we say, you know, you make me this way or we justify it with whatever. Right. You're a bigger jerk than me. You got to you got to take it from here. I don't know. You're better at this jerk stuff than I am. I'm going to well, actually, I'm just going to say outside of the study we're reading, we'll harken back to the Gottman Institute, one of our early podcast episodes. Go with the golden rule. Um, if you can't think of how to solve the problem. Always couple every one negative comment you make with five good ones. So, oh, I forgot that one. That was a good one. We yeah. have to make up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm behind in my marriage, and I know this stuff. That's why it's unacceptable. Yeah. So, being a good power couple almost means just being a good you and being able to monitor yourself. And ask yourself day by day, look down at yourself from above, be your own parent and say, would I want to be with me as a partner in this moment? Um, if you can do that, 
And if you have good values, like if you have values that you are aware of and you can point to those values because you have a journal and you can say, that's my value, then you should have no problem finding somebody who shares that value and can parent themselves as well. Now, of course, I say that, but if you figure out how to do all those things, come back and tell me, please. Yeah, easier said than done. But I do want to say that Joe and I are both, a lot of the stuff we're talking about money and success. And the only reason we do that is because you can measure money, but we don't see that as a success too. We see healthy, growing relationships, regardless of where you are financially, as long as you aren't really, really poor and, and having hard times, having a hard time putting a roof over your head and gas in the car. As soon as you get over that, we're talking about good, healthy, growing relationships, regardless of if you're, if you're making 50 grand a year or 5 million a year. When we had our opening, we talked about JFK and Jackie. Um, I used to view them as my model power couple until we did this episode. I found out that their worth, the, the, the overall Kennedy worth now is worth 1.2 billion. Um, and that's not, that has almost nothing to do with JFK and Jackie. So I used to think of their family wealth as they're doing. It wasn't. It goes back to the 1920s and Joseph Kennedy Sr. running liquor (laughs) and a stock brokerage. (laughs) So they've been, they've been squandering. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They've been squandering the, the big money made in the, in the prohibition booze running days. Yeah. It goes so far back. It's exactly what we're talking about in this episode, that all of our quote-unquote power couples in our minds, they already had all their power before they came together. Our, our model is skewed. So can we get one more power couple, real power couple, who did it together? I got them for you. Okay, please. Tom and Judy Love. That's their actual name, Love. I don't believe you, and I've never heard of them. (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't heard of them before, but I think you have. And I guarantee you've probably bought one of their products in one of their stores before. So Tom and Judy met young. Tom was a a great athlete, went to college, dropped out of college, went to the Marines, became a corporal of the Marines, got out, dropped out of college again. And Tom and Judy invested in a business that at the time – was very, very, very undesirable. What it was was the convenience gasoline business. And it was in the early 70s. There was a gas shortage. So gas um, gas stations weren't making any money at all. So they were being abandoned. You could lease them for literally nothing. So a marine college dropout and a country gal with no money buy a, a an abandoned gas station. Yeah, we're not talking about he was, he was about to get his doctorate or his master's. He dropped out like the first few weeks ago, like the first semester he was out. So he just. Okay. Now, what was different in the early 70s were there were gas stations, which sometimes had like service centers where they fixed cars. They didn't have convenience stores in them. That was a different business. Okay. So you went to convenience stores to get food or to a grocery store. And they saw even though people were losing their ass on gas, they couldn't even get gas. You can't sell gas if you don't have gas, and there was gas shortages, right? Right. So you can't make the rent. So what they did was they put in the Reese's peanut butter cups, the Snickers, the the sodas and all that, the cigarettes and all that, and they combined them. And business absolutely boomed. Holy shit. They had the first, like, snack-based convenience store? mm Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And so they grew and grew and grew. 10 stores, 50 stores, hundreds of stores. Now they have a net worth. You talked about the Kennedys, $1.2 billion. Guess what the Tom and Judy Love's net worth is? Oh, God. I'm going to double Beyonce. I'm going to say $4 billion. $5 billion. Damn, okay. And their convenience stores around today, and they're called Love's. And I know you've seen there. It's it's it says loves and oh. the, there's the heart in there. I know everyone listening to this have seen or been to one of their stores. Okay, it all clicks into place now. Combination of great timing and a true power couple. The world of self-help is a mountain of life advice built on the assumption that you're making decisions for yourself. Only at Assets Your Portfolio, says Rich Dad Poor Dad. Set your mind on a definite goal, says Think and Grow Rich. Adapt to change, says Who Moved My Cheese. You know what self-help rarely mentions? It doesn't matter how wealthy, agile, or goal-oriented you are. A messy divorce will cut that in half. Even if you don't get divorced, an anchor of a partner will limit your personal potential, whereas a partner who shares your values and motivations will multiply your potential together. In the opening narrative, we talked about cliche power couples throughout history. Cleopatra and Julius Caesar, Franklin D. Roosevelt and Eleanor, JFK and Jackie O. You know what those people had in common? Not wealth. One or both were assassinated or died in office. Power partnerships don't come to the table with money, fame, or influence. Real power partners come together over values, and they reinforce those values and help each other prosper and reach a ripe old age together. Hail Caesar indeed. You've been listening to The Reengineered You. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You mean the world to us. We have a new episode every week. You can connect with us at www.re-engineeredu.com. That's where we have research links, show notes, feedback, and blog articles for each of our episodes. We're not experts in anything, but we've got an opinion on everything. (laughs) 